a poor specimen, but then we feed upon the poor mostly. They're far less likely to be avenged than the rich. A fang gleamed in the trembling gaslight. Do you believe I can do this to whomever I will, to you or to anyone whose eyes I meet? No, thought Asher dully, struggling toward the surface of what seemed to be an endless depth of dark waters. No, no, he forced himself to his feet, staggering a little, as if he had truly been asleep. For a moment he felt the vampire's naked mind on his, like a steel hand, and quite deliberately he walled his mind against it. In his years of working for the Foreign Office there were things he had willed himself not to know, the consequences of actions he had taken. The night he had shot poor Jan van der Plaats in Pretoria, he had forced himself to feel nothing, as he did now. The fact that he had succeeded in it then was what had turned him, finally, from the great game. As deliberately as he had pressed the trigger then, he walked over to the woman and pulled her to her feet. Isidro's pale eyes followed him, but he did not meet them. He pushed the woman out of the compartment ahead of him and into the corridor. She moved easily, still sleepwalking. On the little platform between the cars the wind was raw and icy. With the cold air his mind seemed to clear. He leaned in the doorframe, feeling oddly shaken, letting the cold smite his face. Beside him the woman shuddered. Her hands, ungloved, red, chapped, and calloused in contrast to that white throat, fumbled at her open collar as her eyes flared with alarm, and she stared, shaken and disoriented, up into his face. What? Who? She pushed away from him, to the very rail of the narrow space, as if she would back off it entirely into the flying night. Asher dropped at once into his most harmless, donnish stance. Please forgive my liberty, but my wife sleepwalks like that, and something about the way you looked made me think that might be the case. I did speak to you, and when you didn't answer I was sure of it. I—she clutched at her unbuttoned collar, confusion, suspicion, terror in her rabbity eyes. He wondered how much she recalled as a dream, and became at once even more consciously the Oxford Don, the fellow of New College, the philologist who had never even heard of machine-guns, let alone wadded up plans of them into hollowed-out books to ship out of Berlin. Fresh air will wake her up—my wife, I mean. Her sister sleepwalks, too. May I escort you back to your compartment? She shook her head quickly and mumbled, No, thank you, sir. I—you're very kind— her accent Asher automatically identified as originating in Cornwall. Then she hurried over the small gap between the cars and into the one beyond, huddled with cold and embarrassment. Asher remained where he was for some minutes, the cold wind lashing at his hair. When he returned to the compartment, Isidro was gone. The only thing that remained to tell him that all which had passed was not in fact a dream— was the woman's purple scarf, collapsed like a discarded grave band on the floor between the two seats. Asher felt the anger surge into him, 
guessing where the vampire was and what he would be doing, but knowing there was nothing he could do. He could, he supposed, run up and down the train shouting to beware of vampires, but he had seen Isidro move and knew there was very little chance of even glimpsing him before he found another victim. In a crowded third-class carriage or an isolated sleeping car, a dead man or woman would pass unnoticed until the end of the journey, always provided the body were not simply tipped out. Mangled under the train wheels, there would be no questions about the cause of death or the amount of blood in the veins.